0: Welcome to the podcast about nothing in particular, where we bring words from our mouth holes into your ear holes. Whoa, whoa, wait, wait a second. You're, you're not Adam. I, I am not Adam. I am Jacob. So as some of y'all may know, Adam got married, so we have Jacob here with us for a couple episodes to help fill in. So
1: thanks, Jacob. Thanks for uh, filling in. You're very welcome. I'm considering this a tryout before I decide to go pro in the podcasting world. And on today's episode, we are going to be talking photography with Richard Bevan.
0: So Richard's a British editorial and documentary photographer based in Hudson Valley, New York, which is exactly what his Instagram bio says. So hey, Richard, thanks for coming on.
2: Hey, how are you doing? Thanks for having me.
0: So on a serious note, Richard, you're actually an extremely accomplished photographer who's worked for some pretty major companies, the BBC News, the New York Times, BuzzFeed, The Guardian, and a number of other uh, companies. And so for those who don't know, you spent a year photographing 275 residents in get New York for their bicentennial. And you actually recorded a podcast, uh, if I'm not mistaken, with Kodak about that experience. And if anyone wants to go listen to that podcast, um, it's on Kodak's website. I think I believe it's called The Kodakery. It's an awesome, awesome uh, interview. Uh, so if you want to hear more about what he did in get New York with the 275 residents and that project, go check that out. But for those who don't really know who you are, Richard, could you give us a little background on who you are and how you got into photography?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, I am obviously not from the U.S., as you may be able to tell. Um, I'm from the U.K. originally and uh, moved here about, uh, let me just see here, about 17 years ago. Uh, It was actually just a few weeks after 9-11 I started working here. Uh, I was in the advertising business at the time, and uh, I worked in that business in Europe and here for just under 25 years. I left eight years ago because, uh, I just had a pretty burning need to really get stuck more into my photography. And, uh, also my family and I, we decided to move from the suburbs of New York city, uh, a little further North into a farming country. Um, uh, so that was happening around about the same time. And, uh, just to your introduction, I appreciate you, uh, describing me as accomplished i would take some issue with that i think i'm very much a work in progress uh i've always photographed uh really from the age of about 11 i'm one of those that uh kind of you know made a pinhole camera at school and went in the dark room and you know smelt the chemicals and saw the magic and was hooked ever since Mm -hmm. so you know i sort of have been photographing this whole time and uh you know i just uh have been able to been lucky enough to be able to spend way more time with it in the last seven or eight years and uh to work with or on behalf of some of those companies that you mentioned
0: what current projects do you have going on right now and when did you finish up the the project in ghent
2: yes the the project in ghent was uh as you said to to celebrate the bicentennial um that pretty much was a year I did actually start. I cheated a little bit. I started at the end of 2017 only because there were some kind of seasonal elements that I wanted to include that I knew I wouldn't be able to include at the end of 2018 because I needed to be done with a project. So, uh, it took about a year and, uh, I'm still really in some ways tying up a little a bit, bits and pieces of that. Um, I, I did promise everybody who was photographed that they would get a print and I've now done that. Um, I have a projection coming up next week at the International Center of Photography in New York City. They're uh, projecting some of my portraits inside uh, the center and then at night they're going to shift and project some of the images on the window. So I've been uh working on that a little bit and I'm I'm sort of in the next few months I'm hoping to get some sort of plan underway to uh create a book of some of the portraits which uh is a sort of uh, lofty goal of mine but uh i'd really like to see if i can pull that off because a lot of people have asked me and i want to try and make the book not a sort of you know like glossy coffee table book but you know a book that's accessible for a lot of people particularly a lot of my friends and neighbors in the community who you know would like to buy a book but uh you know 40 50 bucks for a photography books pretty steep when you think about it so uh, i'm trying to find a way of doing it that's uh, below twenty dollars um so I, all of which is to say in terms of that project um you know people when you spend a year doing a project people don't really think about the fact that you know you don't just sort of dump it and run and get onto the next one necessarily um, you know there's still quite a lot of other stuff to do but I am, I am about to start another project. Um, I'm still kind of just finishing off the thinking on it, but it's basically broadly about uh, another kind of, you know, culture uh, of folks um, in this area of the Hudson Valley. Um, and I've been doing a lot of work like that in the last few years. So the work I actually did before the Ghent work was about uh, Donald Trump supporters who had built their own signs. They actually went to the trouble of, you know, crafting in some cases some quite elaborate signage during the 2016 election cycle. So a lot of my work is topical and based around this locality.
0: That series you did caught a lot of attention, but are you seeing even more attention from the Ghent project? Uh,
2: I th- I think I think it's just a different sort of attention, um, you know, for different reasons. I mean, the 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 Trump stuff was interesting to more people after the election um the bicentennial work has been very interesting people during the bicentennial and of course there are more people so there's 275 people involved in the portrait series i just did so you know that alone means it's going to get more attention you know um but uh, i found the trump the trump work has been more kind of historically significant if you like rather than kind of was you know leading up to the election it you know it wasn't garnering that much attention it's only really been since the election that uh it's had more attention.
1: Did you feel like you learned anything about rural America or rural Americans during that that little tour of of the kind of the countryside and those different people with their Trump signs?
2: Yeah, I think um, that's a good question. I think I think the, be, before I answer specifically, I think it's, it's' worth saying that I think it's very kind of dangerous to generalize about very broad groups of people. In other words, you know, um, like rural Americans. You know, right. I think there, there's so many different there's so many different kind of, you know, uh, ways to look at that and, and and experiences that people have. But I will say that I, you know, talk, talking to people and you know, one of the things I think um, allows me to do this type of work is that, you know, I like going out and finding new people and talking to them, and it doesn't it doesn't intimidate me doing that and. You know, if I'm if I'm really honest with you, I think having this accent probably helps a little bit,
1: Right.
2: (laughs) you know, in terms, you know, I'm not actually a citizen either. So I didn't have, you know, I I was able to present myself as a sort of observer rather than somebody with an agenda. Right. Kind of a non-biased third party. Yeah. Yeah. But I think I think I think it's fair to say, and I don't necessarily think this is anything that you haven't heard before, but I think to try and answer your question, I think people there was a very there was a very deep sense of like anger and frustration um and i think that um a lot of the people that i met i mean for that first for the trump series i photographed about 17 or 18 people so it wasn't a huge sample but i felt like they were saying to me we know he might not be the best guy per se but actually we think we need somebody like him and right now somebody like him is going to be the person who's going to make a lot of changes right um and you know whether or not those changes were in the people's those photographings best interest or not that's a whole other debate but mm-hmm. you know i think that 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 time everybody was looking for something everybody i photographed was looking for something alternative uh and they certainly got it
1: right it's like that that pendulum swings from from one side all the way to the other so as it you know, gathers the momentum; it swings even further away from where it was before. And I think that's how people kind of felt with it when it went that's from right. you know Bush to Obama, and then they wanted something in much contrast to uh, Obama, which was obviously Trump. But you know, yeah. that's politics aside. Um, what was it? That- yeah, but
2: just one, just one thing on that. I mean, I, I, um, I actually went back to most of them a year later. You know, about, about is actually about nine months after. So it's September October two thousand seventeen. So it was about nine months after the inauguration, and and I photographed I photographed them again in a slightly different way. I used black and white and used a different format. Um, but I asked I had the opportunity to ask them what they thought so far, and I thought actually, you know, your point about the pendulum swinging quite mm-hmm. often when quite often when that's the situation, people start regretting what they've you know put in place. But actually. I think I, I found kind of in amongst the people I photographed, I found kind of universal approval. Really? Because I think that they felt that, you know, even in those first nine or 10 months that, that they'd been, you know, he'd been mixing it up sufficiently and their expectation was he was going to create that type of change. So, right. I, I, you I, I, know, did. they were sort of, you know, yeah.
1: What was some of your uh, inspiration for that Trump series? Uh, he's obviously a, a controversial figure and and, you know, people that support him. Like you said, it's not to, to lump them all into one group, but there yeah. must have been some kind of idea that this, you know, this guy was a reality TV show host and now he's running for president. And just kind of going into that, did that have any sort of influence on your inspiration or was it just a, a, something that you kind of thought of and wanted to go for?
2: Yeah, the, the thing about that question is that um, you're, you're, that question is being asked, you know, with kind of two or three years behind us. Mm-hmm. And what you have to remember at the time was that although I think it's fair to say that the people I photographed mostly believed that he could win, I think in general a lot of people didn't think it was going to happen. Right, right. And, uh, and so you have to kind of remember that when we have this conversation. But the inspiration, oddly enough, wasn't really anything to do with Trump per se. Ah, okay. the, inspiration, the inspiration was that I was driving around the area. Uh, you know, I was driving to you know doing various assignments around sort of upstate, western New York, and I would, I would see some of these signs, and it just made me think, wow, you know, like what? And we're not talking about you know yard signs where you donate you know twenty bucks to the campaign, and they send you a sign to stick in your front garden. I'm I'm talking about you know crafted signs made of wood or right. you know wh- whatever they're made of. So so somebody had gone out and bothered to do that, and I they was put sort of
1: time and effort into it.
2: Yeah and so I was I was kind of inspired and fascinated by the the idea of like well who would do that and right. and the, you know the si- the sign is there mm-hmm. I can see the sign but actually it really makes me want to find out who the person is. Yeah. Um
1: okay. so it wasn't
2: it wasn't really about Trump necessarily it was actually about the idea of these signs and how elaborate some of them were.
1: Right and just you know the the links that people were going to to show their support and yep. and you know support of one condemnation of the other really. Yes. Uh, yep. Especially in a, in a couple of the ones that we looked at, you know, um you know, just to see what it was that was driving them, was it the the pro-trumpness or the anti ness at the time?
2: Well, in this part of the world it was both actually. Right. <laughs> uh you know, I don't I don't know I can't speak for sort of other parts of the of the US, but I mean certainly around here, you know, there's a sort of legacy and it's uh, I think I think just like Trump in a way Hillary Clinton at that time is a very polarizing figure, you
0: know. Right. So this isn't particularly on the topic of photography, but on the topic of you immigrating to the States, I guess inspired you to move here, but not only move here, but also stay for so long.
2: Yeah, that's that's a good question. I I moved because I was uh, with an advertising agency that uh, was an international agency and was offering international opportunities for those that wanted to move. And it was at a time when... uh, the kind of advertising business in the US wasn't, um, in terms of what I was doing, it wasn't as strategically driven. And the UK, for whatever reason, um, was sort of doing things slightly different and slightly more strategically. I think basically because the UK is a smaller market, so it wasn't so uh, logistically driven, whereas here it's such a huge market that there were more logistics involved in sort of getting ads out into the marketplace. You know, So they wanted people who had strategic, ability and experience and and the agency group i was with wanted to kind of bring some of that to the u.s to help kind of develop it within their company so anyway so i i came to basically be part of that and um you know in terms of what inspired me to change i mean my my kids were were fairly young at the time uh they're in uh, they went to school here we just found lots of opportunity here and i've continued to find that opportunity in the context of photography just instead of advertising you know
1: was it a a difficult decision you said you moved here just recently after nine eleven did that have anything to to do with your decision did, did it have any sort of you know if you were ready to go for it did it make you have second thoughts about anything
2: no i mean we had, we' had told people that we were moving uh, just a couple of weeks before um uh nine eleven and uh i mean obviously you know pause for thought but I think that um I think uh, what the best way of putting it is that I think that you know you have to not allow that type of terrorism to you know to win, right. and so you have to continue. And uh, you know, in terms of my growing up, you know, the the UK was uh, for a few years pretty fraught with problems with um, you know Northern Ireland and terrorism to do with that, and right. so. I, am not, I'm not saying it was a way of life, but I mean, it was something that you just kind of grew up thinking, well, you know, you can't allow that to win. So, you know, I think maybe that was part of it, but we, we, we kind of forged ahead. And I, I remember kind of coming here on, you know, flying back and forth on planes that were, you know, not very well populated, right. Um, wow. you know, for a few weeks there. So it was, you know, but I mean, it's, you know, it was, uh, it was obviously very, very difficult times for everybody. And, uh, you know, um, it was uh, a really—I'm uh, sort of struggling with the adjective because I want to be respectful, but it was uh, just such a, uh, an important kind of feeling to be here, and you know, to be in New York City, especially, was uh, was an incredible, you know, experience. And uh, it was really—it was really actually um, so amazing to see how cohesive the population became and how how forcefully everybody worked together and got behind each other, you know?
1: Right, and th- so, coming off of that, there was a, you know, you're being in New York, and just during that time, I remember that there was a, it was a pretty powerful moment, and it was it was something that is very, you could probably say cliche and American, um, but it was a, there was a baseball game that at Yankee Stadium, and George W. Bush threw out the first pitch. Um, do you remember seeing or hearing anything about that in your time in the state since then?
2: Um, not particularly. I mean, I sort of remember it vaguely, but I, to be honest, I can't remember the details about it.
1: There, there were a couple of, uh, of events that happened. It was him throwing out the first pitch, and then it was uh, the first home run that had been hit after. And it's, it's just kind of a, a moment that, in a sense, that baseball brought the country back together, and people started to realize that things were going to be okay after, after the fact. After right. after such a tragedy, it was it was interesting to see people just coming in for for an event such as baseball that that brought so many people together. And I I was a baseball player uh, in college and and most of my life, so it was just particularly impactful to me. But then just going off of what you're speaking on, that it all just kind of ties together.
2: Yeah, I think people were finding lots and lots of different ways, whether it was baseball or you know whatever they're involved in or whatever their community was. Just lots of ways of showing support for each other and for the country and it didn't matter whether you know frankly it didn't matter you know if you're a citizen or you weren't a citizen if you were if you were part of it then you felt yeah you know a a sense of solidarity and support you know of
1: course
0: i know you talked about in the kodakuri that you shot this project i believe with what was it a pentax six seven
2: that's correct yes
0: so what do you often find yourself shooting with um when you're not doing a project like that when you're just, I guess, going around town or you're going on a trip, what often do you find yourself shooting with?
2: Uh, well, I mean, really, I've, no, I'm have no, i not really like too into the technical side of it. I'm not like a gearhead or anything. I don't like collect cameras for fun. To me, pretty, I mean, I enjoy cameras, but to me, they are tools to get the job done. So, right. you know, clearly if I'm working on an assignment, you know, and I think I told this story on the, on the Kodak thing, you know, like I had an assignment few months back and I I had an hour to shoot it and file it you know get it to the newspaper so you know clearly with that using a digital camera and I you know I have a couple of digital cameras I use um for that purpose um these projects that we've been talking about are projects that I do in parallel with all of that and they're they're personally driven like inspired and motivated projects and you know I spend a lot of time researching them Uh, And then I go out and do them myself. And I really enjoy shooting on film. Um, uh, That's something that when you are making portrait photographs, um, to me, the process of it is a much more engaging one for some reason. And it allows me to be able to make the connection I need to make with the people that I'm photographing other than, you know, what we're actually talking about. Um, So I've enjoyed you know, photographing, for example, the Trump work and the, again, bicentennial work on on film. Uh, I actually used two different cameras for that. Uh, if you want me to kind of detail what they are, I'm happy to do it if you're interested in that. Um, the the Trump stuff was a Hasselblad year one and a Pentax 6-7 year two. And then the GENT work was a Pentax 6-7 for all of it, actually, same camera. Um, and it's all, all Kodak film, which is... Uh, nothing to do with any relationship I have with Kodak because I don't have one. I just, uh, I like using that film.
0: Right. So could you give us a little into your philosophy of how you approach portrait photography and documenting?
2: I think the, um, I think the key thing, and I'm possibly not going to, I'm possibly going to not say anything here that your listeners haven't heard already, but the key thing is that the, people people will not let you make a photograph of them if there's not an essence of you know trust and respect um, involved and I think that the most important part of the philosophy is that you know people are giving their time they're giving something of themselves and whether you have five minutes or five hours you know you do that respectfully and you do it um, you know honestly that's the word I would use and uh, you know I think that One of the reasons, perhaps the main reason that we're even talking on this podcast is because, uh, Nate made a comment on my Instagram, uh, which I responded to as I responded to all the comments on my Instagram, when I was posting these, these, some of these portraits and he, he made a comment about people not smiling. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of responded with, um, you know, some, some thoughts on that, um, And then we got kind of talking, you know, via messages and stuff. But, you know, the reason the reason that that was the case, not in all of them, but in a lot of them, if not most of them, is because I wanted to try and have a fairly uniform look to the portraits. Um, And I wanted to um, I wanted to capture people. Honestly, you know, when you have people smiling and smirking and all the rest of it, I, I feel like it in some way is a mask. And you're not really looking at the person, or 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 a, or a side of the person that that is more of a sort of honest representation. Now, that may just be me, you know. Some people I have to say just can't stop smiling, and if you ask them to stop smiling, their eyes kind of light up, so they're smiling with their eyes. So it just depends. But the overall philosophy is really about um, trying to make photographs that are an honest, honest representation that are respectful and that that you you. Have built up enough trust with that person that they feel like they want to give something of themselves that is a little more than a snapshot.
1: After you've taken the the portraits, the the photos, what's that sort of process look like? Your your workflow, the the time that you set aside, and just you know from from shot taken to shot developed and ready to rock. Uh, what what would the process be like for that?
2: Yeah, the the, the process is actually pretty limited uh, by design. So. Um, most of the work that I do, that I get paid for assignment work is um, journalistic in its, in its kind of nature. And so, you know, I'm not, I'm either in a position of having to deliver it quite fast. Right. uh, I'm, I'm always in a position of needing to provide images that are, have integrity. So they haven't been changed in, in ways significant. So, you know, I can change a little bit of, you know color correction or a little bit of contrast or the but you know you don't remove things you don't put things in you don't kind of crop to make it a different picture right. all of that stuff so um i take the same philosophy when i'm working with the film and the portraits um i basically um shoot on the Hasselblad. it's 12 frames on a film and on the pentax it's 10 frames um And basically I use a lab in New York City and they develop the film for me and they scan it at the same time. And um, I like the way they scan it. Obviously for anybody who is not aware of how that works, like scanning, just like choosing a different film and changing all the exposures and settings on the camera, scanning can actually change the look and feel of your photograph as well. So Mm. I get them to scan it as kind of straightforwardly as possible. And by the time I receive it, Uh, I find I have to do very, very little with it. Um, And that is by design, because when you're making 275 portraits, I don't want to be sitting at my computer for, you know, one or two hours for each portrait working on an image or several of the images. Because if you add that amount of time up, it's a colossal amount of time that I would rather be out shooting. So, um, you know, by design, my workflow is very, very straightforward.
0: Right. Uh, Another reason I want to get on this podcast is because we want to talk a little bit about you and kind of what you do outside of photography because obviously on your instagram and your website and the interviews you're known for uh the projects you've done and and the companies you worked for and the professionalism but can you give us a little insight of of kind of who you are and what you like to do outside of photography of course i know photography is a huge part of your life but can you give us a little insight on maybe uh what you do outside of that
2: yeah i mean we um I'm no longer in the ad business. So uh, about the same time that I quit the ad business and focused more on my photography, my uh, family and I we 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 invested in a very small but run down farm um, where we live. And uh, we spent two years working to restore that. And um, so that is something that that basically, you know, takes up time alongside the photography. Um, My wife has a farm store and uh, bakes bread and uh, here in Ghent, And we raise a few chickens and a few pigs. And so, you know, there's always a lot to do, particularly this time of year. So I'm very fortunate I can balance these two kind of things out. So that keeps me pretty busy, um, you know, um, alongside the photography. So uh, that's the kind of main thing in terms of where my time goes. And then, you know, we have two kids, um, one's in Boston and one's in D.C., and so we're visiting with them or, you know, we're traveling somewhere. So we try and do a bit of that as well. Um, you know, just lots of different things, really.
1: So I think down here where we are in Oklahoma City, people kind of have the idea that New York is limited exclusively to New York City. Right. So, so it's interesting to hear you talk about, you know, farming and, and raising farm animals yep. up there in New York. And you said it was just about an hour north of the of the city.
2: Yeah. So, um, yeah, just to give you some context. So if you imagine where New York city is, if you, uh, the Hudson river, which is a beautiful river, which, uh, runs from the Adirondacks, which is about three or four hours North of the city. Um, and it runs due South down into, into the city of Manhattan and kind of, you know, meets the uh, sea there. Um, so we're not far away from that river. Um, and, uh, if you, so we're, we're our nearest biggest city is probably Albany, New York, which is actually the capital of New York.
1: Right, people often mistake and, that.
2: Yes, yeah. And so we are. If I if I jump on a train here, an Amtrak train in Hudson, which is our nearest town, I can be in the middle of uh, Midtown Manhattan in about, in about two hours. So I have you know, in many ways, I have the best of both worlds. I have a, a kind of rural environment that I live in, but I get to the city on a frequent basis because the train the train connection is just so good. If you travel north and west, you get into Western New York, so Syracuse, uh, Rochester, Buffalo, and then obviously Canada. Um, so that going that way west. Um, if you go due north, um, you get to sort of Montreal, for example. Montreal is about four hours drive from us. So, so I really have situated. You know, we got we're pretty close to the Massachusetts border, pretty close to Vermont. Um, so yeah, I would say that I'm not in the kind of craziness and the the bump and grind of the city, but I can be in that if I want in a couple of hours. Um, otherwise, I'm out here in in, you know, what some people call upstate New York, but it's not I don't think really upstate New York. You know, really upstate New York is Syracuse, Buffalo, Rochester, and the Adirondacks.
1: So so based on, you know, we're we're talking about your personal time right now. Um, yep. Does your personal time? Do you like to spend it? in that mix that you're talking about where you can shoot up to uh, you know the upstate area or you can go down to the hustle and bustle or do you prefer one over the other do you sp- you know most of your personal time would you rather it be spent on the farm or in the city or is there a mix of both with that
2: uh, i mean the honest it's a mix of both i mean i i always love going to the city and i, I quite often like leaving and i i'm i think because i live outside the city i'm really productive when i go there you know i meet with people i get done what I need to get done. I drop stuff off at the lab. I, you know, whatever I need to get done, I get done pretty, pretty efficiently. Um, so I, I actually like, um, the fact that I can, you know, I know I can go there at any time. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, um, resources and time allowing, um, and, and upstate New York is just, it's a great place to explore. You know, I can't say that I, um, I do it a lot for like, fun and leisure um i mean i i've shot quite a few stories for the wall street journal in the past few years up and around upstate new york and uh also i was uh for a while photographing family angus ranches which may be more familiar to some of the folks in oklahoma around you um you know I i was really kind of putting together my own story about how you know um family ranches um are kind of under threat really as a lifestyle for a whole number of reasons, whether it be, you know, younger people moving to the cities, whether it be, you know, farming as a practice has just become like a scaled thing. So, you know, the bigger getting bigger and the smaller getting smaller and climate change is having an impact. So, you know, there are a lot of kind of headwinds. Um, So I went to, you know, a few places, Kansas, Montana, Iowa, uh, New York and photographed some ranches there. So, you know, I, I really enjoy a mix of city and rural. I mean, I guess partly in my dreams, I'd love to be on the coast as well. So, you know, I like a bit of all of it. I'll tell you what I don't like, though, uh, which may have been your next question. I just, what we really discovered was we really didn't like the suburbs. Um, you know, I grew, up in, uh, I grew up in the UK in a relatively rural part. It was a city, but a small city, and we lived on the outskirts. Um, so I never really felt too suburban. I mean, I guess it was technically, but when i came here and you know we we were actually in like proper new york city suburbia we really didn't feel it was for us
1: was it the people that <laughs> influenced that or was it just a mix of a little bit of everything the craziness of it you know the the people not not exclusive, not excluded from that being crazy <laughs>
2: I think I think the, the last thing it was was crazy. Um I mean if it was crazy in a good way it might have been more interesting. I think I mean there's always there's always great people everywhere, you know. I mean as a especially as a photographer I think everybody you know people always say well I'm not photogenic I'm not interested but I think everybody everybody has something, you know. So it's not the people there's always interesting people everywhere but it's I think that the homogeneity of the surroundings and the kind of um, for us, I mean, a lot of people love that, you know, the predictability of it. And the train comes in at 8.13 every morning and, you know, all of that stuff. And it just wasn't something that we were looking for. So, you know, I, but I appreciate for, for a lot of people, it's, you know, their perfect kind of ideal way of, you know, existing. And that's fine. Right. Uh, it takes all types, you know.
1: Can you uh, go into some of the travel that you've been able to do since you've been in the United States?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of it. A lot of it um, originally was to do with the business I was in, and so I was traveling to many of the different states. Um, You know, I spent a lot of time in Georgia, a lot of time in Illinois, uh, New York. You know, basically, some of some of the kind of states might sound like, well, why? Why was that? You know, but a lot of it had to do with where the clients were. Um, And then um, I actually sort of grew into an international job, and I probably ended up going to I don't know. 30 plus countries, um, you know, with that job, spend a lot of time in India, uh, some time in China, you know, lots of time in Europe, South America. So, you know, did a lot of that. And then, um, with photography for, for a bunch of different reasons, um, I've made a couple of trips to Brazil, um, you know, plenty of different States in the U S which I talked about earlier with the ranching stuff. Right. Um, I mean, a lot of work I'm doing now is around here because I think that, um, you know, I've, I've sort of been able to find a sweet spot for me, which as a photographer, I think you try and do. I think a lot of people, uh, in my opinion, and it's only that, a lot of people think in photography that you need to go somewhere exotic or go somewhere kind of super interesting, you know, in theory to make photographs, and actually, so much of the time, the opportunities right under our nose you know on our own doorsteps right and i've been able to kind of discover that you know sweet spot um for me is kind of around this area exploring the different cultures and people of this area and uh you know there's plenty of opportunity to do that so i've been really lucky i i've i've been able to travel a huge amount and um you know obviously coming from a different country as well i have a slightly different perspective on the world and uh you know i i've I, I'm very privileged to be able to kind of travel as much as I have done.
0: So on the topic of you interacting with your, your subjects, you have obviously been to many different cultures and different countries. How do you engage with your subjects in a way that gets them comfortable and gets them willing to have their photo taken?
2: Um, I think there's sort of verbal and non-verbal bits to that. Um, you know, the non-verbal bits are that, you know, I think body language is an incredibly communicative thing and um, you know, I think you can look and feel threatening to somebody mm. or or you can come across as being open. Um, and I think also you can come across as being respectful and, you know, there's there's a certain thing to that and i i i'm not sure i can answer the question whether that's something you can kind of learn to do or whether that's something you just that's just how you are so and i think it's probably more the latter if i'm honest um and then on the verbal side you know one of the things that you get to understand when you travel a lot whether it's in one country or whether it's in you know across many different countries is that although everybody's very different there are always things that people have in common. And um, I think if you can, in a sort of natural way, find some common ground, even if you don't speak the same language, that can be possible. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, if you can find some common ground, then you you have a better chance of making that connection. And I'll give you an example of that, um, which was sort of fortuitous, but <clears throat> I'm sure most people listening to this will have heard about, all the craziness going on in the UK right now with the the Brexit, the idea of Brexit, which is uh, essentially the United Kingdom coming out of the 27, 28 member kind of uh, pact, which is kind of the European markets and and kind of doing their own thing. It'd be a bit like, you know, New York separating off from the US, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, perhaps not quite as dramatic as that, but uh, that type of deal. And, um, Around about the time that I was photographing the Trump supporters for the first time, that vote was being held, a referendum was being held across the UK to decide if the people wanted to stay in Europe or to leave Europe. And uh, of course, a lot of people I was photographing had heard about all of this. And I have to add that I think the the roots of all of the things to do with Brexit and the roots of Donald Trump being elected are actually quite similar. Um, like the reasons for it, the the trends that came behind uh, those things happening are very similar, in my opinion. And so, people would hear my accent, and they'd you know I'd explain where I was from and what I was doing, and kind of take the time to explain. And sometimes, you know, the camera wouldn't even make an appearance in the first visit. In fact, most often it didn't. Um, and that's another thing. You know, you, if you rush to do that stuff, then you 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 are in danger of kind of blowing the whole thing because the first and foremost thing you have to do is establish some sort of relationship and, and kind of and trust between, between all, all the people that you're photographing. So anyway, so my example is that, you know, they'd all heard about the Brexit um, kind of phenomenon and it was the same time as the whole Trump thing was going on and we were able to kind of have a conversation about that. And that, you know, once you, once you've got to that point, then it's really in your hands to, or in a photographer's hands to just try and get in a position of making, you know, the best possible photograph you can because you're in a way you've already lined up uh, the opportunity.
0: Yeah, I actually kind of have a similar story. Um, when I was in, I was in Santiago, Chile, and I was uh, at a church, and I was actually working at a conference doing some photography, and I had found myself uh, downstairs. There was, uh, I went down to the basement just randomly and I saw uh, this guy and another guy, they were just chilling, they were eating, and I went up to the counter and was going to try to buy something, but they didn't take cards. So I, you know, I turned around and I was on my way out because I didn't have any cash with me. And this guy gets me to come back and we end up having dinner together. Now we don't speak the same language at all, he speaks Spanish, I speak English, and um, I don't speak enough Spanish to really communicate in a meaningful way, but we were able to have a meaningful connection, and we were able to uh, communicate and without each other's knowing each other's language. So it was a cool thing. And at the end of it all, I was able to take his portrait, and it turned out pretty cool. Um, the lighting wasn't that great, but because uh, we were in a basement. But it, it's it's awesome how you can, you're able to have meaningful experiences with other individuals despite the language barrier
2: yeah it's a perfect example and you just you know you have to put the time and effort into it you know you get you kind of you get out what you put in you know um and i think that's a great example in fact it'd be it'd be lovely if you uh would post that so we could all take a look at it
0: yeah yeah for sure i uh i need to go through those photos still but uh, i'll definitely post that and share it i enjoyed it. yeah you know
2: you know once you're at that point that you know, and actually, at some point, it's not about making a photograph. You've made a, you know, a new friend, and you right. never would have thought that that would have been the case. You know, um, and and this all all of this counts to being able to make you know photographs that you know. It's always difficult to describe what makes a good portrait. It's kind of like a really simple question, a really hard one to answer. Um, Is you know because there's so, there's just something that happens when you look at a good portrait, and you're like, oh yeah, I can like I can look at this for a while, or I can you know, really kind of get into this. I can see more about the person and and that happens for a reason, you know, because I, I, you know, even when you take 275 portraits, not all of them are kind of up to that, up to that level. And so, you know, there are, there are going to be some where you look at it and you go, yeah, not quite, it's not quite there, you know, because, and then you go, oh, remember I'd like five minutes to do that one.
0: Yeah. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. And, and that's honestly, that's, that's kind of the reason I started shooting film. I actually recently sold uh, my digital camera so I could buy a medium format camera. I got a um, Pentax six forty five N that right. I bought recently. Which I'm not a gearhead either. I just uh it was in my price range and it had you know it was able it was gonna be able to get the job done for what I want to do. But I wanted right. to start shooting film because I, I found myself going on trips um like to Santiago and I went to California a little bit after that. And I had brought uh, a thirty-five millimeter film camera, and I had brought a uh, digital camera. And both of those trips, I had brought the digital camera and not shot with it once, right? Um, because I found that I was taking I was taking more time to shoot the film camera, and to me, it felt more meaningful. And I was taking my time, and uh, I was, you know, actually considering. Kind of more where I was and being in the moment more, and that's kind of why I found myself shooting film. And then I and then I thought to myself, you know, I don't, I don't think I really find myself shooting digital as much in the future right now. Uh, so I, I'm just gonna take the jump and uh, get a medium format camera.
2: That's great to hear. I mean, um, just on your first point, like I think the the equipment that I used to photograph that Gen portrait series, the Pentax. I don't it cost me no more than five hundred bucks. <clears throat> and I think people get people get so wound up with the whole, you know, equipment thing and how much you have got to spend and what let you know, all of these different things and actually, you know, always the best camera, as they say, is gonna be the one that you have around you, right? Yeah. But I just like you, I'm finding it actually quite difficult to go back to just every day using my digital camera. Like I obviously use it if I need to, but I just the idea of using film is just so much more like attractive. Mm -hmm. and although of course you know it has to be said it's a more expensive pursuit but you know if you if this is like a big deal for you and you're really into it and you don't go to basketball games every week or you know you don't spend money on cigarettes or whatever it is then you know a film's going to cost you probably five six bucks um you know to get it processed and scanned it's going to cost you i don't know what 10 15 bucks right um to get it processed at least you know so in the grand scheme of things, if it's something you're really into, um, it's kind of possible, right? So, uh, and do you mind me asking how old you are? Are you in your 20s? Yeah, I'm 24. I'm okay. Also, I'm
1: 23.
2: Okay, cool. So I'm way older than you. <laughs> but so, you know, when I was like 11, I was using film, of course, and then we all moved digital and so on. But the reason I asked the question is because I like really believe what, what's been so amazing with film Uh, and of course I'm not in denial about the fact that, you know, everything's kind of gone way down and, you know, there's less film being shot now and all, I get all of that, but what's really, really, really great to see. And my youngest daughter's like this as well, is that, um, people like yourselves and her are discovering film and using film, not, not as a kind of second rate digital or they're using it as a different thing it's like well there's painting and there's film and there's digital and there's you know uh ceramics it's, they're different like things different forms and uh you know i think i think it's uh, although it's going to be in a much smaller kind of way i think there's still life in film because because of that because people are realizing it isn't it's not a it's not a digital versus film thing they both have something to offer in some way
0: yes yeah, sir and
2: and and you either like you know you really sparked to you can use both and or you have to use both for whatever reason or you're like really vested in one or the other like i know people who just had to move away from film and they would never go back and i know people who only shoot film and kind of hate the idea of using anything digital so you know but i think it's really great that there are people such as yourselves and, and in your age group who are uh, kind of discovering film as kind of a separate thing and, and really kind of experimenting with it. You know, just fundamentally, if you, you know, you've you probably, you know, you've seen Fu- Fuji Instax cameras they sell at Urban Outfitters or whatever, you know, we've all got one. <laughs> right. You know, so what what happens when you when you go out and you have one of those with you and you're photographing people with that? What What's the response of people? It's like, oh, it's party time. We're going to go a bit crazy. We're going to, you know, we're going to make some sort of gesture. We're going to kind of cross our eyes if you bring out a digital camera it's, or your iPhone, it's a very kind of commoditized thing right now. So mm. people are like, oh, okay, come on, hurry up, or they'll strike a pose or whatever. You know, you bring out a film camera, people's response is suddenly a little more reverential. Right, yeah. Um, you know, there's something else going on, and I used the, the phrase, I don't want to kind of make it sound too kind of overly poetic, but the phrase I used on that Kodak thing was like, I, for the portraits that I was making for Ghent, because it was like a milestone in history for the town, I did want to make it like feel like they were quiet moments of history. And mm. to exaggerate, to prove the point, I wasn't about to pull out a Fuji Instax camera and take photographs of people for that reason. Although that would have been an interesting project in itself, I wanted to make it more like the photographs of 100 years ago that where you had people like you know kind of straight to camera you know mm-hmm. so yep. so i think these these cameras and these these different experiences bring out different things in people and so you have to select the right thing for the situation so i'm not here to say well film's better than digital is better than instant film i'm just saying it's all there we should use it for different reasons and we should try and support it all um because we don't want any of these art forms to go away
0: yeah definitely. Um, you could probably speak to this a little bit more, but it, I'm noticing a lot more people shooting film these days, but I remember I think it was in 2013 I was film I was uh, touring a film school here in Oklahoma City and they were talking about how red cameras were essentially putting Kodak out of business and at that at that point in time, I believe Kodak was on the verge of bankruptcy or they were bankrupt. Um, because no one was using film, the film industry had uh, stopped they were just using digital. But now we've've I've noticed, and I haven't been in the game the film game all that long, but I've noticed a lot of people more more people shooting film. Obviously Kodak is still in business and doing okay. I've noticed even I've noticed even movies coming out uh, on film still. So have you noticed more people using it to a point where you could see it being viable for, uh, an extensive amount of time uh
2: i of course the sort of circles that i follow whether it's on instagram or whatever i talk to i mean i'm i'm sort of in the echo chamber of people who support film right so yeah as am uh, I, yeah. I, I, in that sense yes i have although i would say in general terms i think the i think perhaps and i don't know what the numbers are but i think perhaps that the the decline of film has been stemmed um, so I think it's certainly been slowed. I don't know whether it's increasing now from a kind of bottom point or not. You know, you've got companies like Fuji who are pulling out of it because they're not really totally invested in it. But let's, let's just talk about Kodak for a second. You know, your point about movies being shot on it, I believe the number from the, this year's Oscars is that Kodak, films that were shot on Kodak film had 28 nominations. So a nomination of some sort that's not twenty-eight different films. That may be one film getting three nominations for something, right? Mm. But but there's still a very significant um, or a reasonably significant portion of the movie industry that apparently still wants to shoot on film, uh, probably for the same reasons that we like shooting on film. And in fact, some of these kind of some of these um, film company, you know, photographic film companies that you see have popped up, like Cinestill, have popped up because they've been able to access some of that movie stock and they've been able to repurpose it for photography. Um, so I think I think there's a trend to more people being interested, people experimenting, and I would like to think, if I kind of saw it as a graph, that the kind of bottom has been reached and, and the, the decline has started to stem. Um, I think probably, like with most businesses, there'll be a bit more consolidation. In other words, slightly fewer labs who are able to develop it. Um, but you know, I mean, there's still a lot of people who shoot it, are like you're interested in it, and so long as that's the case, people will have businesses that support it, you know. Um and I think Kodak had to go into bankruptcy. Probably most companies do that because they have to kind of restage themselves and the sure way to the way to do that is to to call that that number, you know. But um, you know, so I, I'm I'm optimistic about it. I think it I think it will be around for a good while, yeah. I mean, I a good friend of ours is a a very kind of well-known and respected wedding photographer. And he, he uses both, um, but he primarily works in film and people hire him because they love the look and feel of it, you know?
1: Yeah. I think one of the big ones that I noticed a few years ago in the film industry, in the uh, movies, movie film industry was uh, Quentin Tarantino's hateful eight. That was, Mm -hmm. uh, it was kind of some of the news behind it was that it was shot on traditional um, eight millimeter film. And I I saw it in a little, it was like a roadshow, special showing that they did down in dallas texas back in 2015 when that came out and yep. I, I would look at that as you know he's a, a big time specialty prominent director and him choosing to go film just kind of showcases that there is still a lot that can be done with that in the in the movie industry and i think that's when you if you look back at 2015 and that movie specifically you can see kind of an increase start to come up from that and and you know the real art house kind of uh Outer directors really kinda of jumping on that.
2: Yeah, I mean I, I, I think um well it's not it's not restricted to our house. I think there's um there's plenty of like mainstream films that are that were shot on film. I believe am uh, to be honest, I'm cheating here a bit, I'm looking up right now. So Dunkirk was shot on film. Right,
1: Christopher Nolan. Who's Call it? Me by
2: Your Name, Phantom Thread, um, The Post, I Tonya, The Florida Project, Baby Driver star wars the last jedi i mean these are all movies we've heard of right 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 yeah so you know there's a reason there's a reason people want to do it and you know quentin tarantino may have been one of the kind of supporters behind it but you know i think it's probably for the same reasons you know i mean you can you know as we know computers you can use your software to make digital look like film but to Mm. me that sounds like Cheating. That's just uh, why would you yeah but, why, but if that's what you want just go just shoot, shoot on film. film
1: yeah exactly
2: <laughs> you <know? laughs> um, now you know obviously if you if you you know if your resources don't allow for it then that's why that software's there it's great you know i mean i'm not it's, everybody has their own thing right so right. we just want to have the opportunities to do our own thing with it yeah i saw um,
0: something uh i don't know if you I don't, there's this youtuber Kai Wong he had picked up this camera off eBay it was a kickstarter And it was essentially uh, a digital camera, but you put cartridges in like it was film and it manipulated the camera to give it different film looks. It was pretty bizarre. Right.
2: Right. Yeah. You see, I'm not really, uh, not really into any of that. Yeah. Um, I mean, mean, it was,
0: he reviewed it. He said it was one of the worst cameras he ever shot with, but it was just one of those things people want, they want the essence of the thing, but they don't really want the thing, it seems like, sometimes.
2: Yeah, well, and, you know, technology makes everything possible, right? So um, just because it's possible it doesn't mean anybody <laughs> wants it.
1: <laughs> I've got one more question. I don't know if Nate will have another one, but I just wanted to ask. You said you started doing – you got into film when you were around 11 years old. Is that correct? Yes, yeah, right, yeah. So did when you were 11, first getting into film, did you ever think that it would take you – where you are now some of the opportunities that you've gotten with with travel and just all the meeting of all the different types of people did you ever have any visions of that when you were younger or is it just something that came about as as you got into it as it went along the different opportunities that opened up
2: i think mostly the latter because i can't if i'm honest can't remember most about when i was 11 but um <laughs> uh, you know so i mean and, and and you know the particular moment for me probably happened when i before i was 11 we we had a an old tin can well we we made pinhole cameras at school and i took in a tin can it was larger than like a normal tin can it was like a big coffee tin can Mm -hmm. and we made a pinhole camera and i took a picture of the sports field and developed it and uh that for me was like a magical moment um and i did when i went to college uh i was actually aiming to study photography um but I ended up not doing that and studying advertising instead just because I didn't get into the college that I really wanted to get into. So I Mm. took an alternative route, but, um, so in a way I kind of had designs on that type of lifestyle, but, um, I don't think, no, I don't think I could have imagined, to be honest, my life, I couldn't necessarily at 11, even have imagined I would be living in the U S for 17 years. So, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, there's been a lot of water under the bridge, as they say, but uh, I don't think I really foresaw most of it, but I knew, I definitely knew I was hooked on photography. Excellent.
0: My last question is, uh, can you give a little bit of insight onto journalism photography? And if someone wanted to get into that, kind of how they could do that?
2: Yeah. um, I guess the insight I guess some insight into that would be that, um, you know, if you're into longer form, longer term documentaries, um, you know, making a story about something that you you, you are interested in. It's a good idea that you are passionate about what you're telling the story about, um, that you have some form of connection to it because the work is likely to be better. Uh, it's likely to be stronger and you don't necessarily need to go to Brazil, India, China to do that. Um, You know, as I try and look at it, you know, find something that you're passionate and you care about, and that you want to make images and share with the world. Maybe about something on your street corner, your church, or your, uh, you know, local school, or your local, you know, food shelter, or whatever it may be. Um, You know, I think that uh, the other thing is that the grassroots. One of the sad things that's happening over the is happening over the last few years is that the sort of local, local the local news outlets, whether they'd be newspapers or radio, or whatever, have, have diminished. Um, and so the opportunities for people to work at the grassroots level have um, diminished. Um, you know, I was lucky enough. I worked on a little local newspaper. I took photographs. I sold them photographs I went out to take. Um, but, you know, I think that as much as those opportunities dry up, new, new opportunities um, open up. But I think people just got to keep chipping away and finding stories and sharing their work and, and trying to find, even if it's in a little weekly newspaper or, you know, whatever you have going on in the area, you have just try and, you know, have people look at your photographs and tell you what they think of them. And if they want to publish them, that's great. Um, and you just go from there because it all builds up, you know, you're not going to jump straight into, uh, Probably selling photographs to you know national newspapers or right. whatever, um, you know. So it, it it pays to to kind of work up and do that. But what what I think you see, there's there's a couple of different things. Like I, in my case, and I don't do a huge amount of it at this point because I'm doing a lot of my own personal work. But um, you know, if you're paid to do an assignment, I you know, can you please go and photograph John Smith? He has a um, you know, a solar panel business and he's really kind of thinking about solar panels in a different way. You might not know anything about solar panels, but your job is to go and try and get a series of photographs that try and tell that story. Um, that's one way of putting it. If you're doing your own work, then choose something, like I said, that you're very passionate about and that you want to share with the world, you know? Um, yeah. uh, does that answer your question?
0: Yeah, that's perfect. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. We, I really sure. appreciate that. So the last part of this, uh, we are going to do the things we like segment. So as I said before, just something that uh, it could be photography, it could be film related, it could be anything. Uh, so
1: Jacob, you want to start that off? I'll go first um, just because it happened to me this week. Uh, things I like is the new movie Shazam that is out in theaters. I think it came out last week. I'm very much into the comic book uh movies the books themselves the genre in total and as a lot of people know that dc has struggled with their the things that they've put out uh justice league was a dumpster fire and some of the things that went into that but then shazam totally like you know aquaman kind of in introduced some more fun into the mix and then shazam was just an absolute riot uh pretty much a pure comedy and i was it was a there were times that I was laughing really hard that I was doubled over in my seat from from laughter. And anytime I can have that fun of a time at the movie, I think the movie's got to be at least somewhat good. And I think that audiences as, as a whole have really reflected that because it's got a really high score on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, people are just having a really fun time with it. Cool. Uh, I think my thing that I
0: like, I talked about it a little before, but uh, this new camera that I got, the Pentax 645N, I'm really excited just to start shooting uh, medium format, and just uh, just you know to go out. I'm, I'm hoping to go out to the Wichita Mountains and uh, do some landscapes of those mountains, and uh, uh, hopefully get some pictures of some bison. So, cool. Uh, where Richard? are we gonna be? Able to, where are we
2: gonna be? Where do we see your
0: work on Instagram? Uh, yeah. Uh, so actually, what I'm doing on Instagram is I'm documenting every role that I shoot. Uh, in chronological order, one roll at a time, on my blog, uh, NathanPerry.me. So I think I'm on. I just. I think I'm on roll 17, and I have like several backlog that eventually will get up on the blog.
2: That's great, and you're so lucky. You'll be able to look back on that from like almost day one, I guess, and see yeah. your kind of progression. In yeah, exactly. Yeah. So
0: yeah. Uh, I'm I'm pretty happy with it. So Richard, what's your uh, what's your thing you like?
2: Uh, I'm going to go. I mean, I, I'm happy to throw plenty of photography things your way, but um, I'm going to talk a little bit about music. I, I, I just kind of was thinking what I was talking about there in terms of photography and how important it is to like be passionate about what you're doing, whatever it is. Um, you know, there's a great band. I don't know whether you've heard of them. They are they are from the UK, but they're touring the US at the moment. They're called Mumford and Sons. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They were they were okay, here so, in
0: Oklahoma before in Guthrie, Oklahoma. Right.
2: Yeah, well, I went to I went to see them in Albany uh, recently, and uh, I've been uh, I've been you know uh, listening to their music since they, they started bringing out albums. So I used to play in pubs in London, um, and uh, you know when you when you listen to their music and you go and see them, and you don't even have to go and see them. When you listen to their music, you just really get a sense that you know that has a power to it um, and a meaning to it for them singing it. That really comes across, you know. They're not just kind of like looking, you know, just kind of like singing words and playing tunes. They are right. It's so not, into it, and I know that's not an original comment about great musicians because I think that's where it comes from for all great musicians. But I'm, I my understanding of your question is like what's going on right now. So I would, uh, and, yeah. and then the the album that they just brought out, uh, Delta, it's is is excellent. actually it is excellent it takes a bit of listening to in my opinion uh to get to that point but yes. um you know I, I would encourage people if they're interested in getting into it to go back to the first album i think they're three or four now and really kind of get a sense of the progression you know you can do it easy on spotify now you just kind of get the band and shuffle it all right so um you know do that because the and turn the volume up because the power and the passion is just amazing so that's what i'm liking
1: right now i am a huge mumford and sons fan I've they're probably in my top Two favorite bands that I would go see anytime, any place. Yep. Um, yep. The, B- the Black Keys is a, yep. an American rock and roll duo. Right now, um, they disappeared for a few years, and they they finally put out some new stuff uh, within the last couple of months. But same same sort of thing where you can really just it feels like they're putting everything that they have into every song that they write. It's not just the sort of you know pop style stuff that we see get put out month after month at the the chart toppers, if you will. Um, you know, Mumford and Sons has had a few things that reached the top charts here, but I just, you know, I, everything about those two bands are are things that I really enjoy in music and I see what you're talking about. Richard, uh, are you a Bearsden
0: fan?
2: Uh, I, funny enough, I just got into them recently and in fact, just about two hours before, before this recording, I went online because I saw a tweet saying they're on tour and I saw most of their venues have sold out already actually.
0: Yeah, uh, that's that's probably one of my favorite bands. So that's cool that you're you're listening to them now.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Well, and uh, I've got Snow Patrol coming up next, so that's my next uh, my next gig that I'm going to.
1: You sound like a well versed uh, individual when it comes to your music. Well, I mean, you know,
2: again, each to their own, right?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Where where can people find you on the internet? What what is your uh, you know Twitter, Instagram, your your own Uh, personal website?
2: It's kind of all the same. So uh, it's Richard Bevan, and that's uh, B-E-A-V for Victor, E-N for November. So Richard Bevan is my Instagram. Richard Bevan is my Twitter. And cool. Uh, This may surprise you, but richardbevan.com is my website.
1: Excellent. That sounds great. Richard, um, This Jacob speaking here, I'm not the podcast host or anything like that, but I just want to say this has been an excellent conversation. Thank you for your time, sir. Um, it's been great getting to talk to you and, and get to know you a little bit better and then I'm going let to let Nate close it out yeah Richard sure. just
0: just thanks so much for coming on man I really appreciate it uh, thanks for being willing to talk to me on Instagram and then uh, talk to us on this podcast I, I appreciate it I think this, this conversation has been awesome
2: uh, thank you for the opportunity and uh, Nate I'm glad that uh, we got talking on Instagram you know I think it goes to show that it, even if people uh, have questions or doubts or interest in your work it's important try and have the conversation and uh you know i'm, I'm glad it led to this and I, I appreciate what you guys are doing to try and get the podcast uh you know up to a, a global media operation
1: awesome thanks for coming on yes sir thank <laughs> you you right. have a wonderful night All
2: right. take care bye